snow and those kind of things this type of, time of year. And uh, one of the people I saw on Facebook was talking about it. And it's like, well, pretty slim to none chance. But you never know. It could be some ice or something like that. And so uh, stay tuned. We'll keep you informed on all that kind of stuff. And we want you to be safe. And when you get here, it'll be warm and there'll be some hot coffee going or something like that. So we have it pretty easy. Can you imagine what it was like back in the days when people had to hitch up horses to a buckboard wagon and <laughs> try to ride that to church over bumpy roads or fields and trying to get to services? And you can understand why back then they normally didn't have an evening service. That didn't really happen among Southern Baptists till in the 20s before that became a norm. But uh, you can see why. Tough life. We have it really easy and we complain way too much. Can I get an amen on that? Too much complaining. We need to be happy about things and know that the Lord is in control. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. In the midst of a chaotic world, a world that can't figure out what's going on, they can't figure out what life is all about, they can't figure out how things work, they contradict themselves, uh, all kinds of things that are going on. And there's an evil agenda behind most of that, if not all of it. And uh, we know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And we do wrestle against fallen angels, demons. And uh, sometimes we don't give enough attention to that. And then other times we give way too much attention to that. And uh, I've known some people that, well, um, I knew a guy who um, his wife and two children were killed when they hit a bridge. And uh, they were young children, and he was in his 20s, and his wife uh, was as well. And somebody came and said, well, you know why that happened? You didn't plead the blood of Jesus over them. Now, let me ask you a question. What are they really saying? Well, if you had done warfare, they wouldn't have died. So then who's in control of the situation? So that puts the devil and his demons in control, and God is up there just helplessly watching. Oh, if you'd only prayed just right, they wouldn't have died. Now, is that biblical? Because the Bible tells us that the number of our days were measured out before there were any of them. And the devil is not sovereign over our life and death, but God is. Right? Don't give him that power. He'll take it and uh, try, to, try to do it. But that means God is not sovereign. And so, as we read this psalm, Psalm 93 tonight, I just want to make this statement. If God is not sovereign over all, then he's really not sovereign at all. And sovereign, what does that mean? Well, we don't have a monarchy in our country. And so uh, sovereignty is kind of a, well, it's a theological term that means God is in control. Actually, the word sovereign just means king. And uh, if you read old literature, when people would go before the king of England or something... They would call him our dread sovereign, you know, those kind of things, meaning the dread, the fear, honor, sovereign, our king. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about the kingship of God. Now, over in uh, merry old England, uh, they do still have a monarchy. But is Queen Elizabeth, does she rule in a sovereign way the way some of Maybe her ancestors ruled. Well, you go back in time there, and the king had power over life and death. You know, I found out something the other day I did not know. Did you know to this day England does not have a written constitution? 
Isn't that something? So they can be all over the map and probably are sometimes. And technically, everything, even whether parliament even meets or not, goes back to the will of the queen. In other words, she's still in title and in theory has a lot of that power that some of the old kings and queens of England had. It's just that now she doesn't dare use it. And uh, you can imagine what would happen if she tried to. Uh, but they kind of think and they, and, and they look down upon us because we have a written constitution as if they're superior because their traditions and everything guide them. It's interesting, isn't it? And in dumb old America, we like something that's written down on ink and paper where we can always go back to and we can always nail it down. This is what is supposed to happen. Does that always happen? No, there's some unconstitutional things that go on. And sometimes the courts overturn them because they are unconstitutional. And sometimes we just kind of yawn and look the other way and, and move on. But at least it's there. And so uh, what they talk about is having the rule of a sovereign, king or a queen. And we talk in our country about the rule of law. Because it's written down. Written down for us. And law is supposed to rule, giving equal justice to all, whether you have a title or not. So interesting in the theories between our two countries, isn't it? Well, when we look in the Bible, you know what the Bible presents as the ultimate form of government? A king. And who is the king who is, as we sing a lot at Christmas, king of kings and lord of lords? What does that mean? The king who rules over all kings. All other kings are subservient to the true king. And he is the Lord, the nobility, the ruler that is superior to all other nobilities and all other rulers. He is the one who is uh, large and in charge, right? And if you think about that, that's the kind of thing that I'm very comfortable with. I'm not comfortable with confusion. I'm not comfortable with random chance. I am comfortable with the fact that God is sovereign over all of the earth and over the universe and over other galaxies. I mean, he's just sovereign. Now, do I understand all of that? No. And you can put me in a position very quickly to where I might have a little bit of question and I might not understand uh, but I don't really doubt the sovereignty of God. I just don't understand how it works together. For example, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, we all believe that. And we all find great comfort in that. But there are some times where I've asked the question, how can this be good? How can this work together for good? Where does this all fit in? And I think we're always going to have some questions like that. But in the midst of that, I've never had a time that I've doubted whether God was in control or not. I kind of questioned what he was doing, and I didn't understand it, but I didn't doubt that he was in control and that he was ruling over all of those things. Because the bottom line comes down to this if he's not in control of everything whether we understand it or not then we've got a problem how does he fulfill his promises 
How in the world is he ever going to do everything that he promised to do in the book of Revelation? How is he going to pull off any of this kind of stuff if any of it is left up to chance? How in the world do we know? I had someone that was in my office one time and they were telling me about a situation and I said, are you sure about that? And they go, well, I'm 99% sure. And I said, okay, so there is a chance that you're wrong. And they kind of looked at me and I said, as long as there's a chance, you could be in that 1%. And, uh, and they kind of said, okay, you know, you're right. And uh, we were able to have a good conversation about it. Well, here's the thing. If God's sovereignty is 99.9%, then there is that chance that the devil's going to win. There's that chance that he won't be able to pull it off. And the Bible never gives us that option at all. Because if he's not sovereign over all, he's not sovereign at all. So we're going to read in Psalm 93. And this, um, I don't know why we haven't covered this one before now. Because this is one of my absolute favorite psalms. And uh, I'll explain some of that um, after we read it. Just a few verses. And it says in verse 1, The Lord reigns. He is clothed. Come on, don't turn off now. He is clothed with majesty, or robed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Now, can anybody say amen to that for one thing? Isn't that good? Just beautiful way of putting all of this. And so let's just kind of go back through it and talk about some of these words in here. The Lord reigns. Uh, when you look at the word sovereign, we don't pronounce it like this, but if you spell it, it's got the word reign in it, doesn't it? And we know R-E-I-G-N is talking about ruling and controlling and being the supervisor and all of that over everything. And the Lord is far more than that, but that's just what we think of. And notice that when it talks about his clothing, being clothed with majesty, and then it says something to me that is extremely interesting. Where does the Lord get his strength? It says he hath clothed himself with strength. In other words, he gets it from himself because he is God. He doesn't need anybody to declare him to be God. He doesn't need anybody to train him and, you know, get him on a workout program so that he can have some strength. He just has it because he is. And any strength that he has comes from him and by him, and he clothed himself with strength. In other words, how strong is God? As strong as he wants to be. Okay, you and I don't have that kind of control. Uh, we'd like to think we do, but we don't. We don't have that kind of control. And uh, even some of you who exercise and work out and all of that, have you noticed as you get older that you can do exactly the same thing that you did when you were 20 and it doesn't work as well now? 
Your muscles don't recover as well. They don't have the flexibility that they used to have. And you don't even have the strength that you used to have. That's all going to come to an end. There is going to come a day, most likely for you, when you're not going to be able to get out of bed anymore. You did the day before, but there's going to be that last time when you're not going to be able to do that. Their life is full of a series of lasts, we, we would call them. Why? Because we are diminishing. We are passing away. The clock is running out on us. And we're growing closer and closer to the, to the end of our life here on earth. And we know how that goes most of the time for most people. And so uh, when we think about that, we realize how different the Lord is. Thou art from everlasting, the psalmist says. In fact, this psalm even tells us that his throne is from everlasting. In other words, if you think about eternity being simply now to the future, that's hard enough to wrap your brain around, except that's only half of the story. Your throne is from everlasting, which means if we take God here today, now he's above time and space, but let's, for our purposes, let's put him right here. And he is an everlasting, he is an eternal God. Okay, that's good. Except the psalmist here says he is from everlasting. How long did God wait to create the earth before he created the earth? An eternity? I just flipped a switch. Didn't you? I, I had a breaker just blow or a fuse or whatever. Remember the old days when you had to go out and replace a fuse? And uh, that's just, I just blew a fuse. Because when I think about eternity going that way, sort of get it. When I think about it going that way, whoo, man. And that's how long the Lord has ruled and how long he has reigned. Let that sink in. Before he ever created angels, before he ever created galaxies, before he ever created Adam and Eve, before he ever created us, there's an eternity going all the way back that way. And you know, when God thinks about that, it doesn't even challenge his intellect one iota. He doesn't have to ponder it. He doesn't have to think about it. That is... His reality being above time and space. And that gives us just a little idea of the lack of intellect and wisdom and all that we have. And all that time, what has happened? He was never created. He is the self-existent one. He is in need of nothing. And he has always ruled, always reigned because his throne is from everlasting and he clothed himself with strength. Where did he get the power to speak the universe into existence? It was in his closet and he put it on and then he did it. And he did it with a word. Where did he get the power to raise Jesus from the dead in spite of the devil and all of the demons of hell seizing the Lord like a prisoner? Acts chapter 2, Peter said that he could not be held by the pains of death. That word held in the Greek means to be seized as a prisoner. How did he have the power to raise Jesus from the dead in the midst of all of that satanic, demonic power? He just went to his closet, pulled it out, put on the robe and said, Pew! and they were gone. 
Can you imagine? If we could have been there at the empty tomb and, we see, and see with spiritual eyes, we would have heard the shrieks of demons and we would have seen them being scattered as they were thrown out of there. And life came back into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he got up and rose from the dead, never to be put to shame again and to ascend later to the right hand of that throne that is from everlasting. And the right hand in the Bible is always, sorry lefties, the right hand is always seen as the place of power and authority. And so Jesus is in that place waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. It's not even a question mark in the mind of God. In fact, that's why in Romans chapter 8 it talks about you. You were predestined, then you were justified, and then you're glorified. And all those words are in the past tense because they were done before the foundation of the world. In that eternity back that direction... It was already planned, and you were already known. It was just a matter of time. And your glorification, meaning you going to heaven and having a glorified body that you're going to get at the rapture, and everybody's going to get at the rapture, in the mind of God, done. He's the lamb slain. When? From before the foundation of the world. Well, wait a minute. How could that be? Because when God decrees something, it's never in doubt. And there is no question about what's going to be happening. In other words, he's going to say, good is done. Good is done. This is the Lord that we're talking about here. And his throne is established so that it cannot, cannot, let that sink in, cannot be moved. Not even a little bit. When Lucifer decided to challenge God and take over, never was in question. He was unable to do it. And he's the one that was cast down with a third of the angelic host who followed him. And they're the ones that became demons. And you think about that. And what happened? His throne wasn't even moved. Not even a little bit. Not even shaken up. Because God already knew it was going to happen before it ever happened. And he knew it was going to happen before he ever created Lucifer. I mean, this is all under the control of God. If God didn't want that to happen, it never would have happened. God had to allow for that. And God had to set all of the things that are happening, good and bad, all of those kind of things, are under the control of God. You say, do you understand that? Nope. It's past my pay grade. And yours too. Because God can make all of this happen, and it makes sense. And I think one of the things that is going to be a delight in heaven, in that eternity that we're there, is we're going to see how it all fit together Questions answered, mind blown, and we'll spend an eternity getting to know an infinite God and how all of this worked out and will glorify. I don't think you're going to have any trouble praising God in heaven, by the way. And it's established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. That's that eternity past thing, okay? Now, when you get to verse 3, I want you to think about water. Have you ever had a water leak? You ever had water damage in your house? A little bit of water can cause thousands of dollars worth of damage, can it? And when you think about the hurricanes and the floods, Katrina, for example, those kind of things, when you think about water and what it can do, the destructive power of a tsunami, remember uh, you know, the footage of a tsunami, or 
you know, a few years back in Thailand, I think it was. Amazing what some of those uh, hotel cameras caught. And you, you think about the power of water. But I also want you to think about the unpredictability of water in the day of the psalmist. See, in the day of the psalmist, they didn't have David Payne. Right? In the day of the psalmist, no satellites. Weather satellites, anyway. And um, they didn't have any way to really, you know, predict everything that was going to happen. They might have some things where they knew it's about to be winter, it's about to be summer, it's about time to plant. They could see some of those kind of things. But as the day-to-day -day things, they didn't really know how to forecast any of that. And you know what was the most unpredictable of all in those days? It's whenever you got out on the sea. When you're in the sea, it might be a calm day today, and tomorrow the waves might be coming over the ship. You don't know. I, I think about the audacity of a guy named Christopher Columbus to take off in those three little ships, to sail across the ocean, as far as he knew and anyone else there in Europe knew for the first time. You remember how many people thought the earth was flat back in those days? I mean, there were the intelligentsia of the day said, you can't, you can't do that because you'll fall off the edge and be eaten by a dragon or whatever it might be. Now you think about when they took off on those ships. Not only were some of those sailors scared to death that they were going to come to the end of the earth and fall off. But think about this. How did they know what the weather was going to do? How did they know about the prevailing winds? How did they know about the, the sea and the tempest? You know? And you know they didn't. They just had to take it a day at a time as it came on. I watched a documentary of the pilgrims. And uh, on their voyage from England, they kind of left at one of the worst times. And as they were coming over to uh, the New World, and uh, they talked about how the ship, how it was tossed, and how seawater was coming over the decks, and they couldn't get out from under, uh, you know, the uh, deck to get fresh air and that kind of thing much because they'd be swept into the sea. And they talked about the stench and how many people were sick and all of those kind of things. People dying on the ship and all of those kind of things that were happening there. How terrible. How terrible. And why did it happen? Because the most unpredictable force in nature at that time for them was to be out on the open sea. How many times do we find in the New Testament professional fishermen like Peter, James, and John being out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, not even the ocean? And what happens? Storm, the wind, the waves. We're tossed all over the place. Remember they woke up Jesus. Master, do you not care that we're perishing? Hey, when you get the professionals who knew that sea like the back of their hand and they're panicked by it, that's something. That's something. And so when the Bible speaks about the waves here, it's talking about the unpredictable things of life. Things that we don't know anything about. And you know, even today with all of our knowledge, we still get caught off guard every once in a while, don't we? 
It's amazing with all of our technology and all of our knowledge about tornadoes. Every once in a while, one pops up that they didn't predict, that they didn't know about. And they're coming on and, you know, take cover, hide, you know, get away from everything now. Here it comes. I mean, I, I thank the Lord that most of the time when they tell us about a tornado watch or a tornado warning, I remember back in that uh, one that happened, uh, good night, when, May 8th, what year was that? 99, yeah. May 3rd, when was May 3rd? 99, wasn't it? Eh, we can all fight about it. Google it. That, it was the first big one. Not the second, not the 2013, the one back before then. Okay? And uh, I was, uh, we were still in these old little bitty offices over here, and I took a phone call, and I was on the news in Toronto. And they were interviewing me. What's it like to see these great monsters coming out of the sky? You know? And I said, well, I mean, um, actually, we watched it on TV for about 45 minutes before it hit our area. And they said, what? You, you knew it was coming? Yeah, they had warned us and told us it was going to be a bad day. And then when it was in Chickasha and coming our direction, we watched it. They had the helicopters out and everything. We watched it on TV. And they were amazed by all of that. And I don't know. I guess they thought that we just spend every day going, yeah, there's one. Here comes another one. Let's go. And, you know, yeah. And it's like, you know, any of you that have traveled anywhere, you know, you get those questions. You live in Oklahoma? Yeah. Do you ride a horse to school? A friend of mine was asked that. Do you live in a teepee? Do you live in a cabin? Do you, you know, what, I don't know what they think. I know when we lived in uh, San Francisco, the uh, people there pretty much thought anything east of Oakland was, you know, still little house on the prairie days. And uh, they're kind of amazed by all of that. Well, I'm thankful for that kind of technology. Believe me, I'm thankful for that kind of technology. But at the same time, there are still the unpredictable things that happen in weather. But you know, even more so, with everything that we know, there are still unpredictable things that happen in life. Dr. Hogan was telling me that they did another MRI, and what'd you say, you have less brain now than you did? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he does say he hears voices all the time, too. So his hearing aids talk to him. Um, you know, with everything that we know and everything that we can see, I mean, they can look inside of you and see things now without cutting you open. And that was just a dream a hundred years ago. It's amazing. And yet, you know what? Every day, people are still coming down with, Diseases that they didn't know they had. A malfunction of an organ that they didn't know was going to be a problem. Um, wasn't it good Sunday night to see Gene Garrett here? And did it kind of startle you when you saw Doug? Yeah. Lindsay said that uh, somebody in the bathroom was saying, Oh, Miss Jean and Brother Luke are here. And she's going like, No, it's not Brother Luke. And, uh, you know, I can't help but think about... Uh, Brother Luke, the Lord took him to heaven fast. And he swore up and down. Nothing was wrong with him. We don't know, do we? 
We don't know. There's a lot of unpredictable things. Sometimes phone calls are unpredictable. Sometimes news is unpredictable. It can be very good. It can be very bad. It can turn on a dime. Now, when the psalmist talks here about the waves, he's talking about that as a metaphor for life. The attacks of the enemy, the confusing things, the things that make you sick, the things that make you where you don't know whether you're going up or down, north, south, east, or west. I mean, think about those ships that would be out on the ocean and couldn't see the stars. You couldn't see the, the wind is blowing you all over the place and you're tossed back and forth. You can't even stand up. You might as well not even try to steer the ship. You just kind of let it go and then you'll figure out where you are later on. I mean, think about all of those kind of things. And think about how many things in life are still so unknown and unpredictable. And we look at that and we go, is anybody in charge here? And here's what the psalmist says. Verse 3, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. I mean, water is noisy and floods are noisy. And things are crashing and bumping into each other and tearing down and being swept away. The floods lift up their ways. Then we get the answer, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Start thinking about it. There's a God in heaven who's overseeing all of this and who is with you in your worst storm, in the most unpredictable, unknown, chaotic thing you've ever been through. You had somebody who was with you. And just like the disciples who had Jesus in the boat, and Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side. You know what the will of God was? The command of God, go to the other side. You know what the disciples decided? The winds and the waves are so fierce, we're never going to make it to the other side. And what is Jesus doing? He's asleep in the boat. You know why? Because there's no need to panic. He said they were going to the other side. Now the disciples didn't think they were going to the other side, but Jesus wasn't worried one iota because the decree was, we're going to the other side. That's why I rebuked them for their lack of faith. And that's why with a word, when he says to the waters, Shalom, what happened? Calm. Still, the Lord can still your troubled sea anytime. Anytime. And um, when we think about that, if the disciples had simply trusted the Lord and believed in what he was saying, they would have understood if Jesus hadn't panicked, then I shouldn't be panicked. If Jesus isn't awake going, what are we going to do? Man the lifeboats, get the life jackets out, women and children, first, you know, that kind of stuff, then you don't need to be doing that either. You don't need to be making any plans. Listen to this. You don't need to be making any plans that the Lord's not making. Because you're on your own on that, and it's just kind of a foolish thing to do. And the Lord's voice is louder than the waters. You know, we think of the Lord, and because of that story with Elijah, you know, he didn't hear the voice of the Lord in the fire or in the whirlwind, but it was a still, small voice. Well, don't assume that's the only way God speaks. Because here in the midst of all of this noise and uproar and chaos and going back and forth and we don't know which end is up, what are we going to do? The Bible tells us here that the Lord is on high, he is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. He can speak anytime he wants to and he can speak through those things. 
It's amazing what you learn when you go through the storms. It's amazing what God teaches you in the storms. It's amazing how the Word of God becomes a precious treasure to you in the storms that you could kind of ignore when everything was going well and going predictably and going favorably, you know. And then all of a sudden, Psalm 30 kicks in. David in Psalm 30, he said, When everything was good, I said, The Lord has made my mountain to stand strong. We all kind of do that, don't we? How are you doing? Oh, suffering with satisfaction, right? Things are great. We're loving it. Well, anybody can say that when everything's going good. Then in Psalm 30, David says, Then you hid your face, and I was dismayed. You ever had that happen? One phone call can take you from my mountain is standing firm by the blessing of God to, oh no, what are we going to do? And take you to despair. And that's why David has to go on and say, you have turned for me my morning to dancing. And, uh, you know, the Lord can do that at any time. Why? Because his voice is louder than the voice of the waters. And all he has to do is say, shalom, you know, cool it. And it doesn't have any choice but to obey. Why? Because he is the one who is in charge of everything that is going on. And then verse 5 tells us, Your testimonies are very sure. Testimonies. The word that he speaks. Think about his inerrant, infallible, eternal, and all-sufficient word. You never have to question Romans 8.28 because Romans 8.29 is right behind it. And he is conforming you to the image of his son. He wouldn't put you through it if it wasn't necessary. He wouldn't put you through it if there wasn't a lesson to learn. He wouldn't put you through it if he wasn't working it for your good. And yet we panic. We become fearful. We become despondent. We pout. We doubt. It's human nature to do that, isn't it? We got to learn. I uh, notice with um, little children, you know, when you're raising your own children, how different they are. One has the adventuresome spirit. You can pick them up and throw them in the air and catch them, and they giggle and say, Do it again. You try to do that with another one, and they grab a hold of you and have a look of panic in their eyes because they're all different and you know you don't take the one who when you get ready to toss them up and they grab you and go no no you don't spank them you don't make fun of them you don't put them down you don't refuse to ever play with them you just find out how they like to play and you go on like that you know the Lord does the same thing when we're going through the trials and the storms and all that some of you are more adventuresome than others for some of you faith is not quite as big a deal as it is for others because you're a naturally trusting person and you kind of enjoy getting out there on the waves and seeing what's going to happen. There are some people I've met that whenever a challenge comes up, they get a little bit excited about the challenge because they say, you know, I've seen God do this before. I want to see him do it again. And they're excited about it. Some people are fearful and they're afraid and they're kind of like the disciples in the boat. 
and they're wondering where the Lord is and do you not care that we're perishing? It just, it's, it's who we are. And the Lord is guiding us through those things to build our faith, to strengthen our faith, to teach us to trust in Him. I've told you before about uh, there's a thing I used to do with Chelsea when she was little where I'd throw her up in the air and she would flip over and I'd catch her by her ankles and she would go down between my legs and I'd pull her out and flip her again and then catch her under her arms. Jenny didn't really like that. Taylor didn't like that. Chelsea didn't like it right at first and then she did. And I said, come on, Chelsea, trust me. And then she did that. And you know what she would say after that when she wanted to do it? She would hold up her arms and say, Daddy, I want to trust you. I want to trust you. And I thought, that's the way I ought to be with the Lord. There's a storm brewing on the sea of life out there, Lord. Hey, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to see you do it again. But I have this tendency to pull away and say, you know, that worked 10 years ago. I'm not so sure it's going to work today. This storm's a little bit different. I don't know if the Lord's up to it or not. Well, the Bible says his testimonies are sure. God has never had a time where he said, Oh, why'd I put Romans 8.28 in there? Not sure I can live up to that one. Not challenged a bit by it. Because the Lord reigns. And holiness adorns his house. The word holiness, it, it doesn't mean just, you know, or ah, like in all those old movies, anytime there's anything halfway religious, ah, you know, that kind of stuff. It's not that. You know what holiness means? Set apart. Set apart. The Lord's house and the Lord of the house is set apart from anything and anyone else. Why? Well, the devil lies. The world lies. People lie. We boast, we brag, and then we fade. We stand up, we're tough and strong when everything's good. And then like uh, little pansies when June turns hot, they just kind of wither away, don't they? And that's kind of the way we are. But not God. Nothing causes him to doubt. Nothing causes him to back up. Nothing causes him to change his mind. There's no need for him to change. Because if you think about it, a God who knows everything, that means whatever it is, whatever attack, whatever threat, whatever battle, whatever thing that was coming up, he already knew about it. And let me just make this statement. If you know something is getting ready to happen, you know it for certain, and you don't make preparations for it, you're just stupid. And the Lord's not stupid. The Lord knows. He sees and he provides. He prepares. He guides. He readies us. And he already knows it even before it ever happens. So holiness adorns his house forever. Uh, someone said the foundational truth of all Christian theology is that bedrock doctrine of all doctrines, the sovereignty of God. Here is the immovable mountain that towers above all theology, the Mount Everest of all truth. The absolute reign of God represents his undisputed right to govern all that he has created. God's reign is the continual, unhindered, free exercise of his supreme authority over all. 
Without that, nothing else really matters. If God's not sovereign, then you can't trust John 3.16 because he might not be able to pull it off. If God's not sovereign, you can't trust Romans 8.28. That's just a wish. If God's not sovereign, you and I are in trouble because we might be the ones that slip through the crack. We might be the ones that are just beyond his reach, his grasp, his ability, or his power. Think about uh, those times when you see movies or TV shows where they're on the high-rise building and the cops chasing the bad guy and the bad guy stands up on the ledge and goes, stop or I'm going to jump, you know, and the cops are trying to talk him down, you know, and all of that. And then the guy slips and the good guy reaches down and grabs the bad guy. You ever seen that? And they hold him. And I always think, good night, I wonder how long I could hold on. And they hold on, sweat's popping out of their forehead, and they're shaking, and then finally they go, don't do it, come on, come on. And then they let go, and the guy falls. If God's not sovereign, that could be you falling into the precipice of hell instead of going to heaven. If that's not you, you could be the one sheep that gets away, that the wolf gets. If God's not sovereign, you really don't know until you get there whether you really made it or not. How do we know how to trust his promises? Well, we trust him because he is sovereign. Because God sustains his creation and God guides and directs it to its intended purpose. And that is never, ever, ever going to have any variance or any doubt or anything at all. That's our God. So think about it. Number one, think about this. Partial sovereignty is no sovereignty at all. And that's what you find as you read verse 1. The Lord reigns, period. He's clothed with majesty. He's clothed himself with strength. And the world is established. Don't worry about global warming or nuclear war or anything destroying the world because the world is established and it can't go anywhere until God says it's going somewhere, right? And above that, the Lord's throne is established. The devil's not going to win. God's not going to fall off the throne tomorrow. I mean, he's done a good job all these thousands of years, but boy, tomorrow may be too much. This impeachment thing may be too much for him. And the election coming up in 2020 maybe, or what's going on in Russia or Ukraine? Oh, it's all going... No, no, his throne is still there. He's upholding it. Number two, the enemies of, the, of God, like the waters, they're going to rise up, but without success. Why? Because he's mightier than the waters. He's mightier than the floods. He's mightier than the noise and the chaos and all of that that may be going on. God is in control of all of those things, having his will and having his way even in the storm. And you and I can be in the midst of the storm and we can still have peace in the midst of the storm. And thirdly, notice that the sovereignty and providence of God assure us that God never changes. Why? His testimonies are very sure. He's different. He's set apart. It adorns his house. And not just for a little while, not just for today, and not just during my trial, but it is a forever thing. It'll never, ever change because God never changes and God never needs to change. Let me read this to you. The Lord reigns supremely over all the earth. Let all God's people rejoice. All the sinful resistance of man cannot thwart his eternal purposes. All their rising up against God, like the rising waters of the sea, cannot succeed against him who alone reigns on high. 
Therefore, all believers should confidently trust in the Lord who causes all things to work together for their good. God is the sovereign king over everything. His universal reign has been established from all eternity past and will never come to an end. Let all believers have grand and lofty thoughts of the Lord who alone is worthy of praise. Let God's people give him glory, do his name. God reigns, not Satan, not man, not other gods, not world rulers, not foreign powers, not circumstances, not random fate, but God, the Lord, reigns and all God's people said. Now, you need to believe that in your attacks, in your trials, in your crises, in bad health, good health, financial good times, and in downturns, God is God, and God rules and reigns. And He hasn't changed His mind about saving you. He hasn't changed His mind about protecting you. <clears throat> he hasn't changed His mind about providing for you. He hasn't changed His mind about seeking you when you stray. He hasn't changed His mind about any of that. In fact, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's not being erased. He's got a place prepared for you in heaven, just waiting for you. It's done. It's ready for the time when you're going to need it. And God never fails because God reigns. God is sovereign over all. So breathe a sigh of relief. Let that worry and fear go. Let that anxiety out of your life and just relax. You say, well, what if I mess up? God's already factored your stupidity into his providence. <laughs> Am I right? He already knew it. He never looks down at you and goes, well, it's counting on more out of you than that. Now what are we going to do? Gabriel, you got a plan? We better make another one. This guy blew it. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Why? First verse of Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. So you know what we ought to be doing? Ready? Pun alert. Singing in the... Not R-A-I-N. R-E-I-G-N. Let's sing for joy. Our God reigns. And all these people that think we have such power. The Bible says the Lord laughs. And we should too. We should too. Have a joyful life. Sing in the rain. Because the Lord reigns forever and ever. King of kings. Lord of lords. Forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Kind of makes you want to do the hallelujah chorus, doesn't it? That's where we live. That's where we live. Let's uh, pray about that. Okay? Father, burn this into our minds. Burn this into our hearts. We're not hanging by a thread. Your plan is not just barely going to make it. There's no chance that it won't succeed. Because you decreed it. And you don't change. 
And whatever power is needed to pull it off, we might say you have it in your arsenal, or if we're thinking about this psalm, you've got it in your closet. You've already got and possess all the power that is necessary for your plan to prevail. It's just a matter of time. And we don't understand your purposes in the storms a lot of times. But one day we will and we thank you for that. And we thank you that your testimonies are sure. If you say it, it's true even if we don't believe it. Because you cannot lie. Thank you, Lord, that you reign. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we rest. In Jesus' name we have peace. King of kings, Lord of lords, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.